Hey guys, it's James Chester here. You're listening to the Gather Round the Lamp podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. Gather Round the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Gathering the Lamp podcast brought to you by underagaslitlamp.com. We're hoping you had a great holiday season as well as it could be in these trying times. Um, you know, whilst whilst everyone's been very busy during the festive period, so have Aston Villa. You know, we've taken a bit of extra time to unwind and enjoy the holidays ourselves, but we're back today to talk about the Manchester United result, a few rumblings of transfer rumours and much more. As always, I'm Regan, you can find me on Twitter at FindFoy, and I'm joined by Mark and Andy. What's going on everybody, Mark Jerby here, you can find me on Twitter at VillaMarkPGH for those who don't know. Always fun to sit down and talk about the Villa, I've been looking forward to this all week, just sitting down finally, you know, done with all the holiday stuff and all that, kind of just winding back into transfer time, but as always joined by one of my favourite people of all time, Mr. Andy Bates. Thank you very much guys, Happy New Year everyone. Uh, good to be back on. Um, it seems like ages since we uh, we chewed the fat about the villa, and uh, it's good to, good to be back and got plenty to talk about. Um, bit of an up and down um, festive festive period, so better better crack on with it. Absolutely, yeah. So while we were away, Villa were being we're in fine form. You know, we beat West Brom emphatically, uh, beat Crystal Palace emphatically. Both games were three three nil. Um, we earned a very well earned draw against Chelsea. Um, but by now, you know all the who's and what's and where's and when's to those games. So we're just going to jump right into the United game. It was the most recent game. It's the most pressing game in, in, in recent memory. So it, it would serve us well to, to mainly devote this podcast to that game. Aston Villa would head to Old Trafford to take on Manchester United and for once in a long time it didn't really feel like Villa were going to get steamrolled going into this one. You know, Villa didn't come out the blocks really uh, in their best form in the first half and, and the first half boiled down to a 40th minute goal from Anthony Marshall. Tyrone Mings got a lot of attention online for for not heading away one Bissaka's cross to Marshall. But you know, do, do you think that this harassment? Would, I, I I don't even want to ask you whether it was justified or not because harassing a player is never justified. Um, but do you think Mings was at fault for this goal, um, or or do you think it was just good play from Marshall to sneak in in between Concer and Mings? You know, there, there, there were a lot of different. The, parts at play in, in this goal uh, for me I, I i thought it was just a good well-worked manchester united goal i thought it was a brilliant run by martial i mean i think that we're, we're now at the fact now with aston villa that any kind of um just human footballing error that happens people are going to be on the backs of it because we're doing so well and the expectations are so high and things like that but 
I don't know, man. I don't really think that Mings deserved the the attention that he was getting online. And again, like you said, it's never never right to harass a player. I mean, if even if it was his error, it looks like he maybe kind of slipped trying to head the ball away or just didn't read the play right. But I mean, it's a, it's a Manchester United side. Like you, you just look at the quality that's on the pitch, and yeah, Villa are progressing in the league and everything. But I don't know some some of the stuff I saw on social media. I was just like, eh, I think that's a, that's a little bit of a knee jerk, you know, hot under the collar reaction because we wanted to win this game so much. We wanted to show like you know we're on this great run of form and everything we want to really take it to Manchester United but you know it, it didn't work out for this specific goal but I, I don't I don't know Andy do you think the the Ming's getting some of the stuff that was said to him you know online do you think you think it was justified at all or do you think it was just a like a knee-jerk reaction thing yeah I don't know really I I, I um I must have a have a cleanse my my timeline quite well because I I didn't really see too much to be honest and I, I know I know there was a lot of um People pointing the finger at him, maybe. I just think it was a good, a good, a good cross. You know, Wambasaka's got down the line really well and pulled it back. And Mings has perhaps slightly overrun it, and he's he's kind of just turned to to, to try and get his head on it, and he's he's just he's just fell short of it. And uh, and Martial has, has anticipated that and nodded it in. Um, thought it was a, yeah, a reasonable goal. And I just think when you play a team like United. They, they have enough players um, with enough pace and enough clinical ability to be able to turn you around and 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 score really. You know, even if they perhaps haven't deserved it, sort of in the in the minutes leading up to it. I thought I thought Villa were certainly coming into the game probably after the first ten or fifteen minutes. Villa came into the game really well and and looked looked very strong on the ball. And it was a it was a breakaway, wasn't it? I think I think Pogba and possibly Rashford were involved in, you know, a couple of nice little flicks around the halfway line, and it was it was a good run and a good cross and and a, and a striker's finish. So I don't know with with Mings. I think there are it, 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 there's always a, a player that, that that the Villa fans have to have to pick out for for criticism, and and maybe it's his turn and. At the start of the season, it was Matt Target, and and now it's Tyro Mings, and I think it, it's of course it's not justified, but of course, but also it's it's um it's it's a little bit off the mark because I still think he's he's one of our most important players every week. So yeah, that that, that that's kind of where I stand on it, really. I do agree with you in the in the fact that he is one of our most important players because even if he's not having a good game as a as a footballer he can still offer so much as a leader and and as that voice that you can always hear on the pitch um you know wherever the ball is you can always hear Tyrone's voice um you know even if it's not in his possession you you hear him kind of shouting down towards or up rather towards jack or to to ollie or whatever telling players to start their press telling players that they're out of position in position uh congratulating them for making the right tackles and 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 so forth but the goal started really through through paul pogba didn't it um him and mcginn were having a bit of a battle in midfield and it's another it's another height difference thing for me you know you've got Again, almost like battling with Pogba for the ball for probably five, six, seven times throughout the game, and he's you know Pogba's what six three, if if not taller. Um, yeah, he's 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 very tall, and 
you know, he, he controls the ball well, flicks it, flicks it again, and then flicks it over himself. And, and McGinn can't really battle with the, the, the strength and size of Pogba, and, and, and United are away. Um, so, for me, it, it is something that needs to possibly be addressed in, in our squad. I think we have a lot of short players and, and kind of need more heights. I think, obviously, Mings is the tallest player. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, we've seen it a couple of times too, even on like set pieces with McGinn. For some reason, McGinn always ends up with the, against the tallest player of the opposition. I don't know if that's just a marking scheme or whatever they're doing there, but I mean, Paul Pogba is not a light player you know what I mean like he is strong he is physically able and um when you get into a midfield battle with someone that's shorter you're always going to look for the advantage to try try and get over top of them if you can or you know just just there's things you can do whenever there's a height advantage on the football pitch especially in the midfield areas where where you can kind of control a game and I thought McGinn played really really well in the midfield against United but again you know for as much press as, as Pogba gets and as many you know criticisms as he gets what it really comes down to it just as a as a a footballer just looking at him he's tall he's he's strong he has the skill he has the guile it just you know it's not to the level that Manchester United supporters want or you know are yearning for um you know I think that's a little bit of a spoiled nature for them to get on this guy's back as much as they do but I mean I'm, I'm I don't support the club so I don't really care but I, I do think that that McGinn did well to kind of try to face Pogba out of the game there were some times where McGinn made some tackles and, and Pogba almost flipped his head around like who are you to tackle me little Scottish man you know, so I, ju- I just, I honestly, like he looked around, like I can't believe that guy just tracked all the way back and made that tackle, took it right off my boots. So, I mean, there, there's always going to be a little bit of a you know smaller footballer thing going on. You're, you're going to get that from team to team, depending on what you're looking at. But I wouldn't be upset if you know if Villa tried to improve on that and get some players that are a little bit more taller. I think though, in terms of McGinn, I mean him and him and Douglas Louise have, have started forming a, a really good central midfield partnership like a very almost like a, a throwback center midfield partnership um that you used to see in a in an old kind of 442 um one sitting one is is a bit more energetic but they kind of switch and they 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 both do similar work in 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 many ways um and yeah then they're, they're not the biggest but I do I do think when the ball was on the floor um I think Villa pretty much Boston midfield. Um, United's best moments certainly came from almost bypassing the midfield or, or using the flanks. I thought, you know, when the ball was was on the floor and in, in the middle of the pitch, I thought I thought Villa were, were well on top of it and um I think that's a really good sign. And I'd rather see um I'd rather see us play it on the floor as well. So I think I think um you know, it's always good to have these these matchups in terms of height and strength and so on. But in the, in in many ways, you can only go with what you have. And you know, um, McGinn, I think, offers. I mean, certainly in the last two or three games, I think he's been outstanding, and you know, he offers you know an incredible amount and 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 quite a lot more than someone like Paul Pogba in many ways. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm I'm. I'm I'm not too concerned about about that aspect personally. 
something I want to ask, and it, it comes back to your little little Scottish man comment. Um, I, I was speaking to a friend during the game, and it came to me that that, that it could be the case. Um, I remember Matty Cash attacking and trying to get across into the box, and he was it was the ball was being contested by by Paul Pogba, and I was thinking, do you reckon like certain players get a bit starstruck? Um, in these kind of areas, do you know, do you reckon, you know, Matty Cash is there trying to get Raymond Paul Pogba, and he's looking up thinking, "Fuck me, that's Paul Pogba. He's won a World Cup. I was playing in the Championship last season." Like, no, I, dude, I think I think you're onto something because I saw a couple times where Matty Cash got the ball pretty far up the pitch on the, the right hand side. He overlapped, and then Paul Pogba kind of went out to mark him, and it's. Usually we see Matty Cash either try to take the player one-on-one or just create a little bit of space to get across it. He literally looked up, saw his paw paw, but turned around and booted it right back to Tyron Minks. He wanted, like, it's, and it's not, it's not a dig on Matty Cash. It's not on his attitude, his driver commitment. But I think it is easy to get starstruck when, like, certain players like that, when you're coming up from the championship, when you're coming through the youth academy, and all of a sudden, you know, you look up and there's somebody who you've played with on FIFA for the past six and seven years that's been all over magazines and on, on television shows and talked about on social media all the time it can be a, a little bit of a starstruck moment um that that'll work out of his game that's a natural thing that happens it doesn't matter what sport you're talking about but i do think there's a little bit of an air for some of our players to be like holy shit that's really him he's right there you know and we talk, we heard maddie cash talk about how much he's always dreamed about playing at old trafford and things like that so I, th- I think it was just a big moment for cash and you know even even with the end result that we'll talk about you know i thought villa played well i thought maddie cash played really well yeah i, th- I think they they I think in a lot of ways they all kind of know each other though, don't they? And, um, you know, I'd, I'd argue that, you know, Matty, Matty Cash is probably just as starstruck to, to, to train with um, Jack Grealish every day and to be coached by John Terry and, you know, to be there with, with Mings and, and, and big name players like that. So, you know, he's, he'll, he'll, he's, he's settling in just as, just as any um, player coming up um, would do. And, I, I imagine that you know if you look up and see Paul Pogba in front of you, it's more about knowing you know exactly what he's capable of and thinking, you know, am I going to try and try and put the afterburners on and get around this lad, you know, because not many people do, you know, not many people beat Pogba for pace. So, um, but I mean, look, we're a growing side, aren't we? We're a young side. We're we're growing up. We're we're, we're becoming far more streetwise and. And, and professional and 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 fitting far better into this this league than than we than we have done <laughs> probably uh, last season certainly but certainly for the few years before we were relegated as well so we deserve to be here and the, the players are starting to believe that now. Yeah, my my initial comment as well wasn't just on, on Matty Cash; it, it could be transplanted to any any player. On our team, really, or any new signing, um, you know, you, you got perhaps we were so, we'd, we'd sign someone from Liga Un uh, in January, and you know we play against Chelsea. You think, okay, uh, that's Timo Werner. Like, you know, I've been watching him play in the Bundesliga every weekend, and now I'm actually defending against him, or you know, things like that. And I always thought like that I'd be like that. Um, and I guess it's a psyche thing that that perhaps 
comes into play at times, especially for the big teams with a lot of money and the high-profile players. You know, if I was if I was a left back, and I think I think you know it, it edges into people's games, and it did last season. You look at Matty Matty Target against um, as Armatore. He's probably just looked at him and gone. I know he's fast. I know he's strong. I know he's this kind of like little starlet that that Wolves have created uh, after he didn't really uh, do too well at Villa or Middlesbrough, to be honest. But you know, the, I feel like players just kind of look and go, "I'm up against this guy today," and and I've used him on FIFA before, or I've, I, I've this guy's won a World Cup, or this guy's won the Champions League, and or this guy scored fifty goals in the Bundesliga last season, or whatever, and they go. Okay, this is this is going to be a problem, or wow, this is this guy's some player, and it, it just goes back into the the psyche, I think. Yeah, no, I I agree with you, and it, it, it's some some players rise to the occasion of that, others actually falter, and then you have to find the middle ground of like, all right, I know this guy, like I've I've watched all the you know the recordings of his game, his past few matches, and you know, the statistics, you know, th- you know they they look for things like that. You, you sit around and you know do the the, the stuff tactic wise to figure out what they're going to do or what some of their consistencies or inconsistencies of the opposition game is. But yeah, I mean, for for me, like I would have been starstruck, you know, just knowing me and my person personality you know going up against and again it's not just maddie cash it's we can literally you know put this on any footballer who comes up a level or gets transferred over to a different league or things like that so i mean i don't know but like the the villa team's grown well you're not seeing a lot of that it was just i i definitely saw it two or three times during the manchester united game where maddie cash looked like he he wanted to try and beat pogba one-on-one or try to make a run towards him and he second guessed himself and maybe not even second guessed himself it was just a smarter play to turn around and you know recycle the ball around but i mean like like andy said this team is growing all the time they're getting better all the time they're doing the small things that weren't even in the in the realm of being questioned last season defensively the midfield battles we're winning you know how we're getting up the pitch how we're scoring goals you know that's we it's it's a complete 180 degree turnaround from what we saw last season and you know i i really do attribute it to that project restart pause where dino was able to kind of rally the troops a little bit be like all right guys we've been pretty shitty we got to get this together here yeah, I think I, it's it's about having confidence in the in the in the process, isn't it? And the system and and the coaching. Um, you know, maybe last year that was just a work in progress, wasn't it? And we didn't really perhaps have the sufficient levels of quality in the squad um, to be able to just win games. A bit like, I mean, in all honesty, I think United beat us on on Friday night, but they weren't they weren't massively better than us they had, they had quite a lot of chances but like I say they, a lot of them were sort of individual efforts by Rashford or or Fernandez. you know and I thought you know in terms of the balance of play and the quality of the football I thought we were we were probably better than them in, in many ways um, so there's a lot to be a lot to be positive about I think and and, and I think that you know the the the, this group of players are are really growing into into it now, and um, hopefully the second half of the season, um, you know, we we kick on further. Now. Villa would start the second half of the of this game much more lively um, than the first, and it appeared as though the villains were hell bent on avenging that that Martial goal late in the first half. Um, a quick free kick by by McGinn. Um, 
it, it sprung uh, Grealish for it on the left flank, and he fired across into the uh, the far post, and it found the boots of Bertrand Traore. Um, and you know, once again, it was another one that could have very easily not gone in because of Bertrand's, Bertrand's lack of a, a right foot, because he had to kind of steady himself, settle it onto his left, and, and take the shot. But he he scored it. Um, and that was his fourth goal in five games, I believe. Something like that. Um, yeah. Three and four or four and five. Um, and, yeah, it was it was all square um, quite early into the, into the second half. Um, but, you know, it wouldn't be a game at the Theatre of Dreams without just a hint of, of mischief, a bit of a simulation, perhaps even a VAR error. Um, and, and quite soon after Villa got back into the game, Paul Pogba would go down in the Villa box and draw a penalty after a, a uh, in air quotes, tackle um, in the penalty area. Upon VAR's review, obviously the penalty was upheld, but it, it really appeared as though Pogba actually tripped himself over by um, kind of tripping over his own gangly leg. Um there was a bit of contact from Louise, you know, a little little lean, perhaps, a little small push, but not enough to warrant going down and not enough to warrant a penalty. Um, and, yeah, Bruno Bruno Penandes stepped up and, and gave the advantage back to Manchester United. Martinez did well, I think. I think he got very close to saving it, but it was just too far into that corner. Um, but I was, I was fuming with this decision. Oh, I was I was mad. I, I, I was mad. And I say this thing that I say when something like this happens, but I never really mean it where I'm like, what's the point watching this game anymore? Like the game's so far gone, game's gone, you know, that kind of stereotypical stuff. But honestly, like it's it's really hard to look at this back and, you know, you can slow it down to, you know, a fourth of a frame per second and all these things. But when it comes down to it, the Premier League has a VAR problem and they have a referee problem and they have a lack that the two cannot communicate properly um you know and that's that's something that hopefully will be worked out in time i don't have much faith in that i think they're happy with how things are i think they're they're they're, they're happy about how it is and the referee isn't made to go over to the screen and doesn't have to all that that it, it makes no sense to me it's completely nonsensical but i i think um louise just got too close he got too close to pogba pogba knew what he was doing as soon as he was going to feel the wind blow at him he was going to fall down um you know it's not a knock on pogba we know that you know he can he can simulate as well as anybody in this game it just sucks because like we were playing well and we scored the goal to, to even it up. And then you go back down the other end of the pitch and something like this happens to where it's just absolutely nonsensical to me. And, and then to see like a lot of the pundits, a lot of the former players, even on Twitter, just be like, what, what is that? Like, how, how are we giving that as a penalty? That's, that's not football, but um, I don't know, Andy, I, I know you are very happy with the decision either. No, I wasn't. It was a, it was a, it was a shocker for me. Um, when you look at it slowed down, I mean, I, Look, I can understand why Michael Oliver's given it. Um, you know, Louise has definitely, definitely caught the wrong side. Um, there is close contact, um, but there's no way. I mean, you, you you're allowed to stand close to a player. You know, there's, that's not a foul. Um, but I can see why, perhaps why Oliver has, has given it. Um, but I, can't, I I can't for the life of me find um 
any reason why it wouldn't have been overturned. I just think it's I think it's an absolute shocker. It's the sort of penalty, yeah. United have always got that sort of thing at Old Trafford, you know. I think referees subconsciously probably have favoured them and in the past and certainly when they perhaps had uh, Sir Alex to um to to uh to face after the game, I think I think those things were were certainly on their minds back in those days. But now we've got a, a system that's meant to be able to to clear that sort of thing up and, and overturn bad decisions and and I mean for me, all right. In normal time, it's probably not clear and obvious. But when you have the the, the benefit of the replays, the freeze frames, you can see that there's no contact. And if anything, Pogba's got his his arm in. In Dougie's face, so I think it's um, I think it was a travesty, and I actually think if if that hadn't been given, I think we go on to win that game because we were we, we were well on top for me second half up until then, and um, like I say, playing some really good football, creating chances, um, and then that happens, and it, it I think it knocked the stuffing out of us to be honest, but yeah, d- d- dreadful dreadful decision. I th- I think on a whole the the officiating through the entire game was pretty dreadful. Um, there were so many fouls as we were trying to push for an equaliser that weren't given our way, and then as soon as a a lighter challenge even or or a similar challenge from an Aston Villa player had gone into on a Manchester United player, he'd blow his whistle, and it was. It, it, you know, it's not going to be fixing. You bloody, you bloody well hope so. But it, for some of the some of the decisions, you're thinking like, how are you giving that? But literally two seconds ago, you've not given it our way, and it's just it, like you said, it's the favour thing, and you you can't understand it. But people have always said that that at the FA, the Premier League, uh, everyone they prefer the 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 London teams, and they prefer the. The Manchester teams and you know the, the stereotypical big six and anyone else can sling the rook generally um, in terms of like decisions made um, and that mentality is you know we saw it during the first lockdown when they um, they they announced that those plans to to kind of change all everything that was going on and everyone was up in arms about it and it was like Liverpool and United that were kind of proposing these plans um, but you know. Michael Oliver was lax on on yellow cards as well. You know, there was 22 fouls against Villa from Manchester United. Um, Nemanja Matic was on the pitch from the 65th minute and had committed three pretty bad fouls. Um, I wouldn't say like bad enough that three all three were red card offences, but you know you, you've got to have a yellow card there. But it was cautioned in the 90th minute. Um, there needed to be more discipline in this game and I think you know perhaps you see these referees get given like the big games a lot like you know Mike Dean obviously he didn't have a great performance as a referee um, when we played Wolves but surely you, you look at Villeneuve and go okay they're in the top 10 let's kind of give Game. I don't know how they, they work out the refereeing. I don't know whether it's randomly picked every weekend or whether they go, this is a big game, let's get this bloke on this. I don't know how it's done, but 
we've had so many poor refereeing decisions over the past two seasons, and and VAR is meant to be be, be stopping this. I totally agree, man. And I, I was talking to a couple other of my friends over here, you know, that are really big in the Premier League, like I am, and you know, other leagues as well. And they asked me, they're like, when was the last time that like you walked away from a Villa game and thought, wow, that referee had a really good game today? And I was like, years. Actual years. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like we're one of the old guard, massive footballing sides in England and maybe refs are a little bit more um, a little bit more strict about that kind of thing. Or I didn't know if like around the championship season we were struggling. I mean, championship refs are championship refs at the end of the day. But now that we're back in the Premier League, like I don't like Mike Oliver as a referee. I don't know what he brings to the game. I, I don't. I think he gets a little flustered out there. It's almost like I would like to see what his day looks like for 24 hours leading into the match. Like, did he stub his toe on the, on a piece of furniture walking through his dining room, or did the dog shit on his bed? Like something happens. Sometimes, like it seems like he's like okay. And then other times it seems like he's just absolutely dreadful. But like there were definitely some turns in this where like they either didn't look anything like Harry Maguire handballed the ball in the box in like the 92nd minute or something like that. There's pictures out there. There's video of it actually happening. Not even looked at. He doesn't even wave play on. It's like it never happened. Like it was it was just a figment of everybody that was watching his imagination. But I don't know. I just the Premier League's got a serious problem with some of these referees. And I'm not asking them to be perfect. There has to be a human element to this game. But I don't know. Like it's it's that weird razor's edge of you know do we take the human element out or do we put it in even more? And then how VAR is pretty much overseeing that. How does that work? So it, it's definitely a delicate thing, but like some of these referees, man, like even not, like I'm talking even outside of Villa games, I'll be watching like, what the hell is going on here? Like where did, where did they find this guy? What happened to this guy before the game that, you know, he's overcarding or undercarding or, you know, silly stuff like that. I mean, we saw it in the Man City game yet. I think yesterday or the day before, whenever the, the goalkeeper like picks up the ball, <laughs> like it's a back pass, he picks it up, you know, and then the free kicks, not where it was supposed to be. It's just so strange. Like, what, what the hell's going on in the Premier League, Eddie? Well, I think I think VAR, not only is it failing in terms of, um, you know, churning out the correct decisions, it's also um, almost interrupting the referee's flow of on, on, and their, their view of the game. Um, you know, simple things like, you know, allowing the play to continue, Um you know, waiting for offside flags, that sort of thing. It just changes the way the ref approaches the match, and I think, I think it's 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 having an overall effect on on their ability um, to referee the game. And I mean, I've always said, you know, I'm I'm not interested in consistency across games because I think it's impossible. I think you never you're never going to get consistency across games with where. You know, last week that was a penalty, and this week it's not. That has always happened, and and you know that's that's part and parcel. That's fine, but what you just want is the the game to be refereed on a um, on a level playing field, just within that 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 game. And as long as that's okay, then then that's fine. I mean, you know, a lot was said about Mike Dean. Um, was it the Wolves game where he booked he booked loads of players? Um, and I think sometimes they just get themselves into a bit of a, a bit of a trap, where they give a couple of early cards, and then suddenly that set the that sent that set the benchmark, um, you know. And I think I think that's what happens sometimes. But that's the game. That's 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 okay. I, 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 it, what what's really frustrating me is that they've got they've got technology now which is is supposed to be clearing a lot of this stuff up and. 
that possibly could provide a bit more consistency and it's just not working and it'll either go one way or the other it'll either settle down and the teething problems will iron out and we we won't you know in a few years time we won't even think about it or it'll get so bad that they'll have to scrap it because it'll start really ruining the their product um in quotation marks so um I don't know really. I, I like I don't mind Michael Oliver as a ref. Um but maybe he's he's falling victim to this this situation and you know, do I give this, do I not? Am I, is this gonna get overturned? And it, it it perhaps it perhaps wears a bit thin um sometimes. But that's <laughs> you could spend hours and hours of podcasts talking about VAR and refereeing, couldn't you, I suppose? Yeah, yeah, he could. I think I think a lot of it has to do with the big brother factor of like he doesn't want, like any ref doesn't want to make a bad decision. VAR looks at it, overturns just a regular foul into a yellow card or yellow into a red. They don't want to come off looking like a giant tit, you know, on on television. And I get that, but I think that the big brother factor of like no matter what call you make while you're doing your thing. I'm always going to be standing right behind you to tell you you're wrong. And I don't know what that kind of pressure feels like. I don't think the ordinary person would. You know, I, I don't think any referee wants to go out and have a bad game. I, I'll never say that. It doesn't matter what, what we're talking about. I don't think they ever like, yeah, I'm going to have a shocker today. That's not the way it goes. But I think VAR just perpetuates the idea of like, I'm the spotlight is so on me that decisions are either getting completely looked past or they're, they're coming off as completely harsh and there's no middle ground right now. But I mean, I, I screwed if I know how you fix it. Cause it's, it's just such, it's just weird, man. It's just this weird spaghetti like problem that I, I don't know how they're going to fix. Well, I mean, I, I personally think they need to take it, take V stop using VAR during games, but kind of run it in the background and, and work it out properly. Um, and how it would, how it was actually works without it actually affecting anything, if you know what I mean. Kind of like a trial of it, but not in, not not in a live situation, if you like. I, I, I don't know. I, I think um, maybe that wouldn't work, but it might iron out a few kinks, um, maybe. Um, but just take it out for a couple of seasons and work on it properly, and and bring it back when they know what they're doing. Because ultimately. You know, it's a bit like the, these these um, COVID restrictions. They just try different things and see what happens, don't they? And you know, that's kind of what they're doing with with VAR. They don't really know what what to do with it, um, so they're just making it up as they go along. Same as the government. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, more I I do feel like more clubs are given negative VAR decisions against them, and I think we're one of them. Um, but at the same time, if VAR goes, you're just going to be begging for it back because whilst it, it does have its negatives, it has its positives as well. And that's obviously subjective as to which team you're supporting on the day and which team gets which decision. Um, you know, if, I don't know, in our game against Liverpool on... Um, is it Friday we're playing Liverpool? Yeah. Um so yeah, in our in our game against Liverpool, if the, if there's like a handball and Liverpool score, and it gets written back uh, or taken back, sorry, everyone's gonna be like, oh yeah, love VAR. But if it was the way around, you'd be like, oh god, VAR is awful. It's such a subjective thing, and I think you know we've we've had 
probably four or five negative VAR decisions this season so far. And I'd say maybe like one or two go for us. Uh, and I do think they'll level out throughout the season. They usually do. Um, I think they leveled out towards the end of last season as well. So I think whilst it is bad and whilst it's annoying, I think I think it, it eventually evens out. Um, although there was that league table that was put out at the end of last season it said we'd have stayed up regardless um before the end before the last game of the season if it wasn't for VAR um but anyway I digress uh the game the game would end 2-1 but the performance from Villa on the whole wasn't it wasn't bad at all it was a it was a strong performance and even Dean Smith said in his post-match interviews that he thought the opening stages were were quite lax um, it looked a bit of a, a a testimonial tempo but he also admitted his side looked far better in the second half now Liverpool uh, are next in the FA Cup and then we have Spurs Everton and Manchester City uh, as our next four fixtures does this Villa performance against Manchester United give you hope for that tough stretch of games? Uh, for me, it does. Just for the resi- resiliency factor of, you know, you went to Chelsea and got a draw. And, like, Chelsea might be a little bit in the mud right now with how they're trying to figure out things. Frank's got a big job on his hands. We always knew he did, especially with the amount of money he spent in the summer. But I think getting a draw against Chelsea, even though going away to uh, Old Trafford and, and losing 2-1, I still think that fills you with promise. You know, like like you said earlier in the podcast, there used to be times where, you know, you'd look at Manchester United and you get up and go about your day before the game. And you're like, man, we're going to get absolutely pummeled today. You know, and... and as of right now, you know, I can't speak for the rest of the season. As of right now, we don't look like the kind of team that even going away from home is going to unsettle us. It seems like Dean Smith knows exactly how he wants to play away. And the players are doing really well. Everyone's performing well. But like for me, it does give me a little bit of a hope going into the stretch of games. It is tough. You know, we don't know what Friday is going to be like with Liverpool. We just saw, you know, them lose to Southampton. We know they have injuries all over the shop. You know, th- do we field our first 11? Do we do we try to rotate a little bit for our own sake to try and get these players a little bit of rest? You know, ta- Tottenham, you know, is Spurs. We, we know what they're capable of. Everton's a tough one. And then the, re- the rescheduled City game. So it's a very, very tough run of games. But I don't think that it's going to be one of those things to where we lose every single one of them. I think Villa are going to pick up points. I can see Villa beating Everton. I can see them giving Tottenham a run for their money. Again, the Friday match against Liverpool, who knows what the hell's going to happen there. But I don't know, Andy, do you think that, I mean, is there any chance in the world that we come out of come out of this with four wins? I mean, I'm not trying to be overly optimistic. I'm just trying to, you know, is, is there any way that we can like go toe to toe with Liverpool and City in, in the stretch of three, three and a half weeks here? Well, there's, there's, there's always hope, isn't there? And I think, like you say, the way we're playing, um, you know that that means we can we can go and match anyone really on our day. Um, obviously, the, the the Man City. I don't know if you guys saw the Man City game. That they, they that was ominous um, against Chelsea um, the other day. That that was that was a a really really good performance by Man City. That was them back to their best really. But they are struggling with with injuries and with COVID cases. Um, that that will probably sort itself out over the next couple of weeks before we play them and I think Tottenham and Everton they're always beatable they're a bit like us they you know they can obviously both they're both sort of full of quality and can score goals um they've got great coaches but but they they, they have their off days um reasonably regularly um I think Everton lost to West Ham you know the other day and 
you know, absolutely it is possible um, that we can certainly go through that, you know, maybe get through the cup and and maybe pick up five or six points from the next three. I mean, that, that would be that would be absolutely fantastic, I think. Yeah, I'd be happy with that. Yeah, so would I. Um, so, obviously, the new year is here, and that means that the winter transfer window is open for business. It wouldn't be quite a transfer window without a fair share of rumours flying around Aston Villa. Um, generally, in terms of incomings, I've not heard anything. But, obviously... The winter the window is, is good for outgoings as well. Uh, and, you know, Frederick Gilbert, Conor Hurahain, Bjorn Engels, all could be possibly leaving B6 this window. Um, and obviously there's always random and unjustified rumours surrounding the future of Jack Grealish. But who could you definitely see departing this month? For me, a, a definite one. I think Frederick Gilbert will depart. I don't think that he's going to go on a sale. I think he's going to get loaned back to France. There might be an option in the deal. I know nothing like it's, this isn't an in the know thing. It's just a feeling that I have. Um, I think he, I think Gilbert kind of wants to see what happens with El Mahamedy. You know, I think he wants to see what happens there. He knows, I think he knows by now he's not going to get time over Matty Cash. Matty Cash has come in and looked an absolute treat for Aston Villa since joining. So I think he knows that it's not going to happen there. But I, it's just curious what happens with Elmo if he actually has a place here or not. If he doesn't, Gilbert doesn't seem like the kind of guy that wants to hang around. He does want to play football. I can see him going back to France. Um, Horahane's a, a curious one because if, if, Horahane does depart, who do you bring in? Um, and Bjorn Ingles is another one. I think he was slated to maybe, there's rumors flying around about him going back to his boyhood club. So um, I don't know. I, th- I think there will be outgoings, but I don't I don't think there's going to be as many ingoings as some people seem to believe. There, there's a lot of stuff flying out there about uh, this morning about Christian Eriksen, and I'm, I'm sorry, for, he's, he's on 135,000 euros a week. That's not for me. I don't I don't want him anywhere near Aston Villa. We, we don't need to be doing stuff like that just yet. But if you do have Horahane that the parts you're going to need someone in the midfield someone with at least a little bit of quality but that, that's an expensive strip for for Erickson myself but Andy what do you think do you think there's any any comings or goings do you have any players you're looking at you know hitting the road or do you have any do you think might be able to come in well as long as no one leaves who we actually rely on week after week then uh, then that's that's all right with me I'd be I'd be very I don't know a bit a bit heartbroken I suppose if Conor Hurahan left I think uh you know he's always been a a big favourite of mine, and you know his his record speaks for itself. But maybe he he feels now that that he could do with playing some games. Really, um, he seems to move further down the pecking order every week. You know, he, you know Nakamba's probably ahead of him. Jacob Ramsey's probably ahead of him. So where's he getting his game time from, really? And you know he's not even coming off the bench really is he so he probably needs to play um so with a heavy heart i'd 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 probably say he would be a a candidate to go i mean they've got to get rid of lansbury surely and um you know we 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 perhaps talked about um what they've been talking about keen davis um maybe going on loan as well um this month you know I, I, i don't know how i feel about that at the moment because Again, we're coming into January and the striking situation looks really, really thin. Obviously, Watkins is doing a great job, but there's not an awful lot behind that. And if, if something happened to Watkins, as it did with Wesley last season, um, 
we're we're in trouble. I think so. You know, they really need to look at that situation and do something about it fairly soon. I think. Well, obviously, Wesley's probably about six to eight weeks away from full fitness now, um, so he probably will get game time before the end of this season. But as you said, we've got two strikers, um, and one of those is Keenan Davis. I can't see him leaving, really. Um, maybe until the summer. Obviously, he's just signed the new deal, so I think I think summertime he probably goes out on loan. But what people have got to remember is that we've got a full squad. We've got a full twenty-five man squad at the moment. So if incomings are coming, then people are going to have to leave. Whether that be on loan, whether that be their contract is cancelled, which will probably be the case with Lansbury, unless he rejects it again. Um, but people are going to have to leave for us to bring people in. Um, and I think, you know, everyone's saying, we need another striker, we need this, we need that. You've got to remember, we've got to get rid before we can bring in. Um, so, yeah, perhaps Connor might be that sacrifice. And like you said, it'd be quite upsetting to see him go. Um, it, it, you know... The stats say it for themselves, but he's the best goal-scoring midfielder we've had since David Platt. Um, so it's 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 a sad one, but I can probably see him leaving. But as well as this, there's been uh, Ross Barkley. Ross Barkley uh, was addressed. That kind of elephant in the room was addressed by Dean Smith. Um, and, you know, he obviously missed the game against Manchester United. Um, and he was asked by the Birmingham Mail whether whether he'd like to make that move a permanent one for Barclay. Um, and he said, you know, it wasn't, it's not been discussed. The idea was to bring him in on loan. He's got, a, he's got a long-term contract with Chelsea. Um, you know, it's one that Johan Lange and, and the owners will speak about. But um, you know, I've, I've seen uh, James Rushton of the Birmingham Mail talk about it, and I think he's absolutely spot on. And they're gonna, they're gonna basically build a scouting profile from Barclay. They've identified a type of player that they want. Obviously, Barclay is, I would say, relatively similar to Hurahan, but better in many ways. I, I, perhaps he doesn't have a better set piece ability, but you know he's faster. He pick out a pass better perhaps he's got a better shot on him perhaps um but you know you build this scouting profile with the data that you get from having that player on loan and then you go to europe and go right who do we want that matches barclay's profile and you go okay there's this guy that plays for fk sturm graz or you know legia Warsaw, and you're spending two or three million or 13 million on a player that that can match barclay and it's perhaps younger and he's putting those metrics in rather than going and spending you know 40 million or 30 million on barclay and hundred thousand a week and it's the right way to go about our transfer business it's sustainable um it might not be the big name that people want but it's sustainable and that's what we need to do and it'll it'll be the case for players that we've already got as well for example uh i saw liverpool journalists um the liverpool echo journalists saying oh we should sign Esri Conser 
because obviously they've got such defensive uh, fragility through their injuries at the moment. And if we were to lose a player like Conser, who's so important to how we play at the moment, you best believe that our recruitment department has a target already identified for if that happens. And there's probably one for every single player on the pitch. Perhaps not Jack Grealish, because at the moment he's world-class. But all the rest, they're, they're going to have skating profiles that, that are going, right, if this guy comes in for an offer, if, if this guy gets an offer from Liverpool or AC Milan or Barcelona or whoever, and we, we have to accept it because it's monetarily like impossible not to, then... We've we've got our replacement ready made, and we just need to go out and buy him. Yeah, it's all interesting points, and that that's how the game's looked at now between data and and collecting statistics and things like that. And that's why you have data analysis that'll sit down and try to find you somebody. And like you talked about, you know, everything with with Ross Barkley, and you're, in the event that we don't purchase him and he goes back to Chelsea, and now you have at least a, a few different metrics and a few different things to look at as far as bringing in a player. And just exactly like you just said, it could be a player that, that you don't know of, but most, I mean, almost a hundred percent pretty positive about this. If that were to happen, Ross Barkley departs at the end of the season, goes back to Chelsea. We do find this unnamed player. You're getting a younger player. You're getting a player that most likely doesn't have hamstrings made of string cheese and he'll be able to build with this collection of young potential players, which is all positive things. And it's not a knock on Ross Barkley. I love, I've always loved watching Ross do his thing. You know, it's great that he's at Villa and it's great that he's on loan. It's unfortunate that he re-aggravated an injury. You know, it's, it's disappointing that we're not exactly being, you know, given the utmost honesty about when he's going to return from said injury. But, you know, it's it's not the end of the world if we don't sign Ross Barkley. I saw some people saying, oh, it's going to completely transform our next two to three years. I'm not so certain about that. And I think this was an audition of sorts from the start for Mr. Barkley. And I think on the pitch, sure, he's passing passing that test with flying colors. But as, as far as health, for me, I just you, you can't have so much emphasis on one player the way that it appeared we were going to do with Barkley and then him just be absent for five, six, seven weeks with a hamstring injury. And it's it's unfortunate for him. I think he's a nice bloke. I, th- I think he's, he's a talented football player, but I just I, I don't think he's going to join Aston Villa on a permanent. Yeah, I think, I, I, I mean, I, I saw that, um, what you were saying about uh, what James Rushton said, you know, and I, initially I thought, oh God, you know, I, <laughs> I don't know if I like that. But I suppose I'm a bit from the old school where, you know, you 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 want your team to to sign characters and to have characters in the team and and people you know, I guess. And and Ross Barkley certainly certainly fits that. But as we say, you know, the way scouting is these days, you know, you, you want to be able to if you do lose a player or two, you need to be able to go and um, go and get someone who who fits that criteria in in terms of replacing them. I do think you have to be careful about assuming that. A player is a player is a player, and you know that that their their character and their other attributes around the place um, don't really count for anything, and they can just be replaced. I think you know I, I would say that's the football manager kind of generation kind of idea of things, where you know you 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 just look down the. I've never played the game. I think you can probably tell, but <laughs> you just look down the stats and you can replace players and sign players and based on what you need but there's a there's a lot more to it than that and i think sometimes when you have a a player like like Barkley i mean Dean Smith has worked with him now you know for a few months he might he might just not he might rate him as a player but not really fancy him as a as a as a 
as a bloke or a, or a professional. So, you know, there's all kinds of different things that go into that, really. And I'm sure if Barkley had played the last six or seven weeks, um, you know, we might have a couple more points. And, and, and I think they would be looking at more seriously at um, the option of signing him because he'd certainly be be more worth it. But like you say, Mark, the injuries the injuries kind of gloss over that a little bit and and um, you don't want to be spending £25 million pounds on a player who's only going to play half the season, if that. And, um, you know, that's, that's just common sense. So I'd love to see him come back in the side, have a good run to the end of the season and, and join us for a reasonable transfer fee. But but other than that, hopefully they are, like you say, using the using the experience of having him on loan to, to identify um, potential other options to play in that role. Absolutely. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about John McGinn, who seems to be absolutely back to his best form. And, you know, he didn't he didn't disappoint against Man United. An 84% passing accuracy was just a bit above average for him this season. But, you know, he definitely passed the eye test against the Red Devils. Uh, you know, he's back to hunting down 50-50 chances in his kind of relentless nature. He doesn't seem scared of, of you know, re-aggravating an injury or anything like that. He's, he's happy to you know, dive in for a loose ball um, or, you know, get clattered like he did by, by after the whistle had already gone. Um, but, you know, he's he's doing well to get forward as well. He... He's he's finally back to his best, I think, after that hor- horrible injury, and and I think he his injury woes are behind him. Yeah, I, I think he's back to his best. We're seeing prime championship again, and I know there there's obviously it's different level now. We're in the Premier League, but it, he's just absolutely fearless going into a fifty fifty. Um, another thing I've noticed about him, where it, it to me it seems like he's feeling a lot better and being a lot more stable with the injury that he sustained. He's screaming his lungs out whenever a ch- whenever a decision goes against him for a foul. I mean, he's actually like visibly upset, and I I like seeing that from a, a fiery guy like McGinn. You know, we all know the other side of him. He's silly and he's heartwarming. He's caring. He's got a big heart, but on the pitch I, I, I want to see a little bit of a toughness and, and he's definitely shown that especially through the month of December I, th- I think that those injuries are, are way way far away he's back to his form I mean it's, it's it almost looks um, like cartoonish in nature how much he runs and how fast he runs with everything he's got he's going in for for a tackle if, if he can get there and um, you know he's doing the right things with Douglas Louise right next to him and trying to get to the ball to the more I guess you could say offensively aware and able players on the pitch so I mean I love it long, long live John McGinn and Aston Villagers yeah I, I absolutely love watching him play I'm so glad that you know it's it's actually obvious now over the past month now that that he's he's back to his best and he's feeling a lot better about that injury yeah it's great to see isn't it it's um we have missed it, you know. Really, the last time we we saw him dominate games or dominate midfields was was during that that run, wasn't it? Um, that ten game run um, that got us into the playoffs. He was he was absolutely tremendous and really probably started okay in the Premier League, but but not his his absolute best. And and then he got injured, so. You know, it's been a it's been a, a long time coming in a way, and the one thing you'll always get from him though is that hundred percent commitment, and he's uh, you know he does he just doesn't stop. He'll always be trying to to like you say win those balls, you know, get Villa on the front foot and get Villa moving forward, and 
and make runs as well, make runs into the box if if necessary, hit the bar against United. I mean, it was absolute, you know, thunderbolt and uh, would have been a great goal um, had it gone in. So, yeah, I think he's, he's he is back to his best. And um, again, he'll be another one that the other teams are big teams are sniffing around. I'm sure, but I think he's 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 really settled at Villa, and I think I think he's very happy. Um, playing for Villa and, and 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 I think as well although he is you know a superb player wonderful player I think maybe Villa is his ceiling to some degree and I think anything that he's going to achieve he'll he'll achieve at Villa so you know I hope um yeah like we say I hope he stays for many more many more years and stays fit and he's playing like this and he's contracted Oh, one second, Rick. So it was funny you said that, like, a village just as seen. I was talking to one of my friends who supports Chelsea, and they said after the game, like, where did you guys get Joe McGinn? Wouldn't he like to live in London? And I was like, actually, to think about it, I don't think Joe McGinn would want to move to London. I think he's okay with this kind of, like, blue-collar, middle-class club. There's a degree of toughness to it. There's a amount of grit to it. I don't know why. I think Joe McGinn would just much rather play in the Midlands than he ever would make a switch to London. I just think his personality shows that. And as well, you know, he's contracted with us now until he's thirty-one. So perhaps you're right. If he stays through through the the length of his contract, he 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 is at his ceiling in Villa. Um, but whilst you know he he may be at his ceiling, that's not to say that the ceiling can't be you know expanded with a bit of planning permission. You know, look where Villa are now. He could be a Europa League player by the end of the season. He could be a Champions League player. The ceiling can absolutely move, um, but in terms of the size of the club, I think Villa is, is probably um, the highest McGinn will go. I, th- I think you might see him see him perhaps make, move back up to um, play for Celtic because I think that was something he certainly wanted to do, wasn't it? When um, when he signed for Villa, it, you know, goodness knows how Celtic didn't get that deal across the line. But oh, just kick, kicking was, themselves. Uh, they got to be kicking themselves oh. now. Absolutely, and and you know they wouldn't be what nineteen points behind Rangers now if they had John McGinn in their team. That's 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 for, that's for sure. <laughs> now Villa go up against Liverpool on Friday in the FA Cup, but a lot of the discussion is exactly who Dean Smith will pick for the game. Some some people think that Dean should perhaps use the, the the usual starting 11 that we see in the Premier League or others think that we should at least rotate a little bit you know get some game time into the likes of Bjorn Engels uh, Nakamba and and to keep the regular starting 11 fresh what what do you guys think Andy you can go first on this one buddy I, I'm in two minds because um, I suppose being a been a little bit older um the FA Cup is a is a trophy that I've wanted Villa to win since I was eight years old. Um, you know they've not won it since 1957, which is just re- absolutely ridiculous. They've been to is it two or three finals in that time, and it's um, it's long overdue. Having said that, um, you know we do have important games coming up. It's just whether you you look at it and whether Dean Smith thinks well. Liverpool are going to pick a, a weakened team, without a doubt. Um, this is an opportunity to get past Liverpool, knock a big gun out the out of the cup at the same time. And we're not in a position where... I mean, it would, it would take a catastrophic loss of form for us to get, 
get drawn into a relegation battle. And it's just whether you think, look, you know, maybe we should prioritise the FA Cup, maybe we should have a go for it, you know, not just, um, you know, do what everyone else does and, 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 and see how far up the league we can finish because we could get knocked out on on Friday and then finish 12th and then what's what's what good is that you know we could have we could have progressed so I'd like to see us um, pick a strong team um, whether that would include you know the big man himself Jack Grealish or whether whether you'd perhaps leave him on the bench you know till till later on um, I certainly I'd keep Bolly Watkins in the side because I think he could do with a couple of goals and it's another opportunity and he did well against Liverpool obviously last time so but I don't know really I'm not really one for just picking players you know to get minutes into them I think if they if they earn their place in the side like someone like Courtney Howes is you know for me should play because he's absolutely earned his place in with some of his recent performances um but Bjorn Engels has done nothing, has he? So, you know, I, I just think, you know, play the players that are in and around the squad and a, a an actual going concern in the squad. Um, but but maybe, you know, just rest one or two and freshen it up a little bit. Yeah, I think it's a little bit, just like you were saying, it's a little bit of a mixture between damned if you do, damned if you don't, and that you can't please all the people all of the time. Um, you know, we, we have a little bit of a leg up on this one because Liverpool just played um, midweek against Southampton where they lost. Haha. <laughs> and, um, you know, Villa had the, pretty much the whole week to kind of figure out what they're going to do. Um, I don't know what Dean Smith's going to do because I, you know, misplaced my crystal ball. But just just for how it was against Southampton where Fabino and Henderson were playing as center backs. They have six identifiable injuries up and down their lineup. Some really, really big time players in my, like, again, I don't know what Dean Smith's going to do, but in my heart of hearts, there's blood in the water. All right. They're hurt. They're probably a little bit down on themselves after that Southampton game. They're probably going to rotate in some kids and their kids are good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying their kids are are not good. They they can play. we, We saw that last season. So I think, if I was Dean Smith, in my heart of hearts, I'm filled in a, a full 11. I had the time off. I was able to rest a little bit, able to look at this game a little bit. I, for me, I, I think that you kind of got to go for the jugular. Like the FA Cup does still matter to a very large percentage of Aston Villa supporters. I found that out over my time, you know, really, really paying attention to the club and talking to people from far and wide. So I don't know, Regan, do you think he's going to go for go, he's going to go for the jugular? Or do, do you think that it's going to kind of be a, a rotation? And let's just take this one lightly and see what happens. I think it will be a mix of the two. Um, I think we might see the likes of Nakamba um, because he, he he has a role to play this season. Perhaps not Bjorn Engels, um, maybe Jacob Ramsey. Players that players that are involved regularly, um, whether that be on the bench or getting getting minutes off the bench, and and a few you know senior players, Watkins, Grealish, will probably play Tom Heaton in goal. Um, Maybe even Jed Steer. We don't. We don't know really. I'd probably say Heaton, um, but generally, I think it'll be a relatively strong side, but just a, a little bit weaker than usual. Now, before we end this week's podcast, short and sweet as usual, score predictions. It'll come to you first, Mark. Ah, uh, three-one to the Villa. Andy, I'm gonna say, is there replays? There's no replays. Is there penalties? No. I'm gonna go two-two two, two and Villa to win on penalties. Man, I don't, I don't, I don't want, I don't want that. 
I don't want those penalties. But I get so nervous about that kind of stuff. You should have saw me at West Brom. I was I was a shade of paper by the time that game was over. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with a one and nil Jacob Ramsey goal. Oh, oh, nice. oh yeah. I, will, I will lose it. I will lose my mind if Jacob Ramsey scores a goal and we, we beat Liverpool in the FA Cup. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd raise you a one nil Keenan Davis goal. I think that would <laughs> send the place into <laughs> send Twitter into raptures. I think that would. But, uh, uh, either or is yeah. fine for me. <laughs> yeah, he's hurting for a goal so bad. E- yeah, either one of them. If we can, if we can get one of the the younger guys to, to find a goal against Liverpool to knock him out of the FA Cup, I'll be I'll be just happy. Yeah, very, very absolutely. Good. Well, I think that's probably the best place to end this week's podcast. If you have enjoyed it, please do follow us or give us a kind of star rating or, or some kind of feedback on whatever platform you're listening on. You can also leave feedback for us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram where we share the links to our podcast because we do appreciate feedback and obviously take it on board. You can follow us on social media uh, on Twitter at Villa Lamp on Facebook. Underscore, uh, underscore forward slash under a gaslit lamp and on Instagram at under a gaslit lamp. Thanks for listening, guys. And up the villa. So, we recorded this podcast earlier in the week, and a lot of news has come to the forefront since then. Um, it seems as if Aston Villa have got a massive COVID outbreak within their ranks. Bodymore Heath has closed, and a lot of first team members have tested positive as staff and. Uh, and players so uh if enough of our under 23 side test negative for covid the game against liverpool will go ahead as planned uh mark delaney will take control of the side uh which gives the likes of louis barry carney chukwameka the opportunity to play against a top liverpool side as you're hearing this now, the decision is likely to have been made, but I'm recording this uh, just before midnight the night before. The result, results of the youngsters' tests are due in the morning. Let's hope for a good result. As we know, history is a circle. We had to play Liverpool's under-23s, and they're going to have to play ours. Let's see what happens, eh? Up the villa.